Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Welcome to the Highlights Podcast. Some discussion about Uber today where we played some comments from the Transportation Minister about the changes they're going to put into place and asked the question about whether it's really about keeping us all safe on the road. And we talked about the concept of the woman card. Is Hillary Clinton playing the woman card when she brings up certain issues as she you know, pursues the Democratic nomination? We talked to our guest Beate Shillette about that. Listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770, Monday through Friday, 930 to 1230. On News Talk 770. I'm Roger. That's Rob. Two gentlemen, similar in height, doing a radio program here in southern Alberta. And Quebec, by the way. Quebec, if you're listening, je t'aime. It's adorable. When je you... t'aime aussi. It's adorable when you act like a country. <laughs> uh, they do. Uh, and it's funny how the, the non-separatists in Quebec tend to do it a lot. Yeah. But, okay, we'll see. Quebec filing an injunction uh, against Energy East today. And uh, Rachel Notley is going to be holding a news conference at 2 o'clock today, we we assume, to respond to that. I think it would be kind of awkward if she didn't. Yeah, Brian Jean is uh, uh, replaying the number one hit single, Send Back the Equalization Payments. Uh, that's the song he's singing this morning, um, saying, if quote, if Quebec wants to block our pipelines, they should send back the over $10 billion in equalization payments they're receiving this year alone and explain why they prefer Saudi and Nigerian oil over Canadian oil. I think it's all very, very valid uh, argument. I just... I think that there should be some shame if you are a Quebec politician today filing for this injunction in that you want to be your own sovereign entity when it comes to this infrastructure project. The last thing you want is to be your own sovereign entity when it comes to financing your your province. Well, I just wonder, I mean, does the pipeline that currently brings oil from the U.S. to, to Montreal, does that should that also fall under Quebec's provincial environmental rules and uh, i'm presumably a dozen right now uh, this is what quebec's going to say quebec's going to say oh sure hey you know we're we're fine with the pipeline we just want to make sure that it uh, it respects uh, our laws uh, who who would be against that so that's how they're going to frame it i'll be interested to see what uh, what rachel notley says in response to that today because of course I'm, what, what can she really do about it not much moving targets are for carnival games not for uh, confederation uh, but yeah we'll see we'll see how it all uh, shakes out this afternoon um we did get another announcement from the province yesterday that i i, I don't know i'm conflicted on because i think uh, it, it should have albertans calgarians in particular relatively hopeful for the return of a company like uber but i still don't see it happening well i i don't i don't i don't really think anything has changed in calgary i know the mayor is trying to act as though it it has i i'm not sure that it has now obviously uh, calgary came through with a number of conditions for ride sharing uber said that that just doesn't make sense for us uh the the city seems to be under the belief or at least certainly the mayor has expressed the belief that now that the province has sort of laid down the law and said this is how it's going to be in alberta that that uber is going to come back to calgary Still doesn't change the fact that Calgary has imposed a, a flat fee for drivers as opposed to what Edmonton did with the uh, per trip fee. I think it's like six cents per trip. So you're not penalizing those those casual drivers who might just you know want to work a few hours on, on Friday and Saturday nights when there's a lot of demand. Now, one of the things Uber was also concerned about, though, was the fact that, um, you know, you're expecting these casual drivers to spend the money and take the time to get a class four driver's license. Although I think that rule applied in, in both Edmonton and Calgary. The province is reasserting that they're not going to change the rule that any four-hire driver has to have uh, a Class 4 license. Uh, so Transportation Minister uh, Brian Mason 
was on with uh, Angela Cocott yesterday. So we did address the insurance question. We can get to that. But, but on the point about Class 4 versus Class 5 license, because, again, we, we better hope that people with Class 5 licenses know what they're doing because they're on the road right now. What? They're, they're driving your kids to school. You're trying to... You're, they're, <laughs> they're driving people to work in, in carpools. They're on the road right now. All of us on the road, we have these Class 5 licenses. If it means dangerous people are behind the wheel, then... Maybe we need to do something about that. This is. Uh, do, do we have a clip here, or do I get to rattle off here? Well, here's, here's yeah, a, a little clip. bit of Brian Mason explaining why why this came up in the first place. I received a letter from Uber dated uh, January 22nd, uh, requesting that Uber drivers um, uh, only be required to carry a Class Five, which is the ordinary license that um, that most of us have. Um, instead of the Class 4 license, which is uh, required currently of taxi drivers and um, ambulance drivers. Those are the two categories. So um, we've taken a look at that. We've studied it uh, and looked at the requirements. So we believe uh, that when uh, um, vehicles are for hire, um, there's a, a greater standard that's required. So we have decided that um, we will continue to require a Class or license for uh, any vehicle for hire, whether it's a taxi, Uber, or or something else. Okay. Now, now, just so people understand, this is my understanding that Uber had already said that it could live with Edmonton's bylaw; it could operate within those parameters. Now, that's been delayed because they couldn't get the insurance thing sorted out in time for today. So Uber is now off the road in Edmonton as of today. But Edmonton uh, had already mandated that too that the provincial legislation says you need a class four license so if you're going to drive uber in in edmonton you need a class four license so uber already knew that knew that going in now they had asked the province to to ease that but i think they, they were already okay with with operating in edmonton and having that requirement so i don't know that that necessarily changes anything in calgary well let's just talk about this class four license for a second here because you hear brian mason uh, quite uh, unequivocally say that the, the, that the province believes if you're going to be in the business of hiring out your car and driving people around, your driver's license requires a higher standard. Now, you might think that um, the operation of a motor vehicle uh, changes dramatically when you paint it yellow and put a uh, tent on the roof. Um, now, I'm not a car expert. I just don't think it does. But here's, here's the thing about the Class 4 license versus the Class 5 license. I have a Class 5 license. Rob, I assume you have a Class 5 license. It's a classy Class 5 license, <laughs> but uh, yes. You will notice, though, that because you don't have a Class 4 license, you are inferior to all the taxi drivers on the road who have Class 4 driver's licenses. And, and, and hmm. I'm either being incredibly sarcastic and ironic here. Does anybody have the mind that taxi drivers are head and shoulders above the rest of the general population when it comes to driving ability? Because I swear to you, I've been on taxi rides in the city where I wonder if the guy has a driver's license at all. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us have had a similar experience. So I don't know what the point of this hoop is that we're jumping through, but we have a, we have an opportunity here to uh, examine exactly what goes into getting a Class 4 license. My understanding is that the test is not different. It's just that the tolerances are a bit tighter uh, in order to pass the exam. But I mean, if it's if if the minister of transportation wants to put his money where his mouth is on this one, then why not go around and bust cabbies for all the stupid things that they're doing on the roads and make the penalty more severe? Because apparently, this class four driver's license is supposed to come with a higher standard. Well, that's the argument, and I think that that's that's part of the problem here. Is like Brian Mason said yesterday in announcing this, he says, "quote It's a more rigorous road test, 
So you don't keel over behind the wheel, I guess, so you're healthy enough to drive. Now, when you frame it that way, <laughs> it makes you wonder why anybody's allowed on the road without a Class 4 license. Apparently, the road test is 45 minutes, which is longer than the Class 5 test. You also need a medical test for a Class 4 license. So that's the difference, right? And, okay, you know, someone texted to say, well, hang on then. I mean, nobody should require a Class 4 license. Maybe cabbies shouldn't need one either. I, I, again, I, I I don't know that this is the biggest issue here. I, I think we can get over this. It's just, okay, why do we have these different classes? What's the difference? Why is it required? I mean, the whole weird thing with Uber is that the people who drive Uber, the cars they drive, the licenses they have, these people are on the road already. That's why I don't understand the argument that all of a sudden now they're driving somebody somewhere. There's all this inherent danger. Let's go to the phones real quick. Uh, Terry, hi, thanks for the call. No, it's basically your, they, if they want to become professional drivers, this Uber company, then they should follow. It is the law. You must have a class four license. And as you had already stated, uh, you must have a medical, you know, you have to have a medical report. You have to pass the safety uh, with the police. Right. And and you also have other opportunities. If you have a class four, you can start driving maybe, a, you know, uh, an ambulance if, you, if, you, if you're not into that. Or right. You can, drive a, you can drive a short school bus with less than, I think, 40 passengers on it or 28 passengers on it. Uh, yeah, you're right. There's a few things that the class four license affords you. But, but the I mean, point is... Well, there's a question here. The, the point yeah. is the question, right? And, and thanks very, very much for the, for clearing up the part about the medical. But that's not... Anything that affects your driving, like the conducting of the automobile. So Rob's asking this pretty poignant question, really. If it's so dangerous to operate an Uber car with a Class 5, you need a Class 4, then why would we allow anybody to drive any car with a Class 5? Well, as I say, it's it's a matter of collecting money. It's a profession now. Sure, yeah. If you're if you're going to step on the road as a professional, you have to be properly licensed. That's the only that's the only difference. You know, I, it's a ten day waiting period to get this. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, if you're if you're serious about it, it's really not. You you pay a fee for the the road test or, or you know the written test, and it's a ten day waiting period. It's not a it's not a big deal. So if anybody's serious about being an Uber driver, it it can't be a problem. Plus. You also have an opportunity. Yeah, but what's the cost? What's the cost to get one of these? I really don't know. I haven't taken a class for it. Isn't like $130 or something? I really couldn't say. But, you know, whatever the fee is, if if they're making the money they made off that fellow last uh, New Year's Eve, $1,000 to go 23 kilometers, that's minor. Yeah, that's that's an anomaly. Sure that's an anomaly, that. though, Terry. That, that I mean, we, so. yeah, we can't use that uh, surge pricing with a patron who triple confirmed he was willing to pay it and then complained no, no. about it. Yeah. The only point I'm trying to make is, if you're going to be a professional, I just can't jump into a class one truck without a class one driver, air brakes, other medicals. There's a lot to it. It's just okay. the professional aspect okay. of it. Yeah, we we went to the penthouse on that one with the class one truck. I couldn't jump in a class one truck either, but I could dr- jump into a, a Crown Victoria and drive that thing, whether it was painted yellow with the word checker on the side of it or not well yeah i mean that's that's the point here right um again i I don't know that uber has has said that this is make or break right this is something that's come up recently as even brian mason said he got the letter on on january 22nd uh this hasn't been uber's biggest issue uh i I think it's part of the concern uh, just in terms of how onerous you're making it because uh, the majority of uber drivers uh they say in alberta it's 62 percent drive 10 hours a week or less that's kind of the, the, the business model here is you're encouraging these people who have other jobs or other responsibilities that they'll take five or ten hours a week and they'll, they'll fill those busy periods, that there's an incentive for them to do so. 
if you impose these onerous fees, if you impose these onerous conditions, if you have to make them jump through all these hoops, they're just not going to do it. And I think that that's Uber's concern. So it's part of a, a, a broader concern, but I don't know that this on its own is a make or break. Let's uh, take a break here. And while we do, here, here's what I'm thinking about, Rob, is are we trying to create a business environment whereby Uber, the business, can come in and operate profitably and successfully? Or are we trying to create a public transportation environment where there is more choice and more convenience available to taxpaying uh, Albertans? This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, welcome back. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. People are asking about, well, who else has to get one of these Class 4 licenses, like the designated driver programs, do they? I don't believe they do. Uh, if you're a professional delivery driver, I don't believe you do. According to the uh, Service Alberta website, the Class 4 professional license allows you to drive a taxi, ambulance, or bus that seats fewer than 25 people, including the driver. Uh, class 3 is a non-professional three axles or more. Class 2 is that professional for, for bus drivers. And then there, there's a Class 1. So if you uh, are uh, a Keys Please driver or if you're a Pizza Hut pizza delivery driver, uh, as far as I'm aware, Class 5 is is sufficient. Right. And think about that. I mean, the Keys Please thing is a solution to drunk driving, right? It's basically a way of saying, look, if you go to the bar and you don't plan accordingly, or maybe you do plan accordingly and this is your plan, uh, leave the, you know, uh, turn your keys over to us, we'll drive your car home for you. So you're basically getting the Uber ride with someone who's driving your car. And no, I, I don't know if that, uh, that business would launch if the, if the government put this stipulation in place that, hey, you know, we're going to make it a little bit harder for you to get your driver's license. It's a bit more of a hassle. You got to be a, a class four and you need a different insurance package. You might just say, okay, well, thanks very much. Thanks, but no thanks. And that's why I asked the question before the break, Rob. Are we trying to make a business environment where Uber wants to operate or are we trying to make a, an, an environment where it's easier for people to, to, to get a lift? We'll see, uh, because uh, Keys Please has suggested since Calgary passed this bylaw, well, maybe we could expand what it is we do. Maybe we could fill more of that void when it comes to taking people home and not necessarily always in their same car, in their own car. So, again, we'll see. I mean, this goes back to the whole point we made when Calgary passed its bylaw in the first place, was that if, if other companies are going to step in and fill that void, then we'll be able to say, oh, okay, well, and I guess this, this wasn't uh, onerous or unreasonable. And, uh, you know, Uber looked silly because they, they said they couldn't operate, but look, all these other companies are able to do so. So... Yeah, it's one thing for companies to muse about what they could or might do. It comes down to what they actually do, and so far nobody's jumping into Calgary. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones here. Oh, sorry, that's not Brad. That's Brad right there. there. Hey, go. Brad, how you doing? Hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah, good, good. good. You know, the Class 4 license the uh, includes the medical, and the important part of the medical is it includes a vision test. Okay. You know, so that's a part that, yeah, it can affect the operation of the vehicle out there if you've just got people that... You know, um, you don't want a guy that's on the verge of a heart attack, you know, deciding, geez, I'm just going to go out there and drive Uber and, and take all these shortcuts and not have to comply. But is it okay if he drives uh, another car? Well, he's not out there in that other car more often. What if he you know, uh, delivers pizzas? Well, now he is out there more often, and perhaps we should scrutinize pizza. But what if he registers at carpool.ca and every morning is driving uh, four or five people to work? 
you know, I think we should have a concern there too, and I think we should be looking at the insurance aspect of that. Right. I mean, so Brett, I, I don't yeah. see a problem with having to comply with insurance aspects, with with having a class four license. Certainly, a police check is appropriate. And and if our cabs are doing such a poor job out there, well, maybe we should put some pressure on the cabs and police them more, not create another sloppy supplier out there that we've got to police even harder. I mean, think about it. you're putting your kids in these cars. Well, yeah, you're putting your kids on uh, you're putting your kids on school buses without seatbelts too. So I mean, but they like, have first aid kits, they have fire extinguishers, they okay. have trained professionals. But I think that you're trying to, you're finding monsters under the bed here. I mean, this is the point of this conversation, right? Is what was the solution yesterday? What was it a solution to what problem? So we got all these all this advice from the the minister of transportation who said basically class four licenses and uh, we're going to have this insurance product that should be yeah. available by July the first. But what problem did that solve? Because here's Rob and I now on the radio uh, the day after pointing out the fact that, look, if people are keeling over with Class 5 driver's licenses but not Class 4 driver's licenses, then what responsible government would issue a Class 5 driver's license and, and allow you to be a menace on the road? Well, that's a good point, and perhaps we should be better scrutinizing right. our class but five let's, drivers. But let's get real for a second here, Brad. Let's but get let's get real for a second. Do you feel relax. that the roads yeah. are uh, unsafe places to drive? Or do you, do you All feel? Right. Are you terrified for your life just because I, you've only got a class five license? I am a class one driver, and I'm 37 year <laughs> professional. You might be scared then, <laughs> and I am very scared at times. Now I have to renew my license with medical every two years. And pretty soon I hit 60, and I've got to do it every year. And does that cost you each time? It costs me about 100 bucks. And guess what? I get uh-huh. to write those expenses off my taxes. Okay. So I wonder if an Uber driver would get me, that. It cost me more than that to get going. Mm-hmm. But if it were to cost me 600 bucks a year to go out there and be a part-time Uber driver, I'm thinking I could work hard the first month and make the 600, and then it's home free from there. So I don't see it being a big burden. You know, I, I really don't. Yeah, but if you were just and, a part-time driver. I don't driver. have to inspect my, my, my car, and I don't have to get a commercial license plate and get commercial insurance, and all these expenses are much lower. And what's to say that I'm not going to jump out there? I mean, I, as a class one, I have to inspect my vehicle every day. And if there's anything wrong with that, I'm responsible and I'm fine. Yeah, but you're talking about a full-time job, presumably with benefits. Okay. Are you, Brad? So- well, uh, let me ask you a question. Would you, for a truck driver? Okay, let me <laughs> let me ask you this then. Would you go out and uh, uh, would you be be a class one truck driver for two hours a week and think you're going to make ends meet if it costs you all that much money? If it's my part time job of, uh, up against my chartered accountant work, sure. Okay, yeah, that's a nope. good answer, Brad. Appreciate it. Well, right, and I mean, people who want to do this are going to have to factor that in. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to be a, a part-time driver working 10 hours a week in Calgary to have to pay the, the $220 up front, the annual fee, uh, pay these other fees for the uh, enhanced criminal background check and now for the Class 4 license and the inspection, whatever else the city's going to throw at you? Is it? And maybe it will be to some. Uh, Uber's decided that, look, the model we work under, what we get from the majority of our drivers – that doesn't work. It's it's not worth it to be in Calgary. People aren't going to step forward to be drivers in Calgary. So let's see other companies call their bluff. Let's see other companies make it work. Aziz, how you doing? Hey guys, what's up? You know, I'm thinking I'm thinking two things. But the first thing I'm thinking is, if I drive my friend down the road, it's okay. Yep. If I drive my friend down the road and he gives me five bucks. Everybody, everybody wants, everybody wants to say I'm violating rules and regulations, but you know what? That five bucks is going in my gas, is going in my stomach. 
Right. Another thing, another thing is uh, I drove cab when I was younger. And honestly, I consider cab one of those transitional occupations. There should be nobody arguing that somebody should be a 25-year cabbie, you know, profession. Like, if that's your choice, personal choice, go ahead. But I mean, the fact that we've propped it up so, you know, we have some guys that are spending their entire lives driving it, I don't think so. I think it's honestly a transitional occupation. People should use it to help themselves, help themselves get to another stage in life. And that's exactly what the Alberta government and these cab monopolies are trying to do, is trying to monopolize it, make it hard. And, you know, it's just a racket. That's how I look at it. <laughs> Thanks, Aziz. Appreciate the call. You know, the odd thing is, Rob, I think that the, the, the stipulation set up by the transportation minister yesterday make it easier for taxi drivers to be the ones who transition to become Uber drivers. Yeah, I, and I, I think changing the rules does, you know, add more flexibility. And, and I think there are taxi drivers who probably feel beholden to these big ta- uh, taxi companies who, who might like to just uh, go on their own or band together and form something. And hopefully we'll see that. I'll say this about the Class 4 provision. Again, it's not as though the, the transportation minister announced a new rule yesterday that all of a sudden now the rule is you have to get a Class 4 license. That's been the rule all along, right? So all, all the minister did was just reassert that that's, that's still going to be the rule. I think there, there's uh, obvious reasons to critique that that position, but it's it's not a new announcement. It's just reasserting what, what has been the rule all along. So... Uh, I, I think we can still work around that. I, I don't think that that needs to make or break uh, ride-sharing in Alberta, but I think there are other uh, decisions being undertaken, certainly by a uh, city council here in Calgary, that's going to make it difficult. All right, when we come back from the news to uh, 1030, we're going to peer south of the border on Super Tuesday, which, uh, is that the rematch between the uh, the Broncos and the Panthers? I'm. Oh, wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> is, is that what I... Is that, <laughs> because I'm watching ESPN, and they're not even talking about it on ESPN. Well, it's uh, Super Tuesday in a, a political sense because a whole bunch of states uh, are holding their primaries today, their presidential primaries. And, uh, you know, whoever prevails today uh, is that much closer to securing the nomination. And uh, it, it could be time for panic within the Republican Party, at least for those who, who think Donald Trump needs to be stopped. Yeah, it's it's interesting how the polling stacks up uh, for Trump and against Trump, depending on which scenario you ask uh, Americans about, uh, be it Hillary or Bernie, who comes through on the other side. It looks like Hillary's getting some momentum, too. But this entire conversation seems to be about the Republican Party. Very little uh, lip service being paid to the Dems on this side of things. Anyway, we're going to talk to a, a, a transplanted Canadian, an Edmontonian, in fact. So, Rob, you'll have some company there. Samara Klar will join us, Assistant Prof of Political Science at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy, about Super Tuesday and uh, what it could mean to the fortunes of uh, one Donald J. Trump at all. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. Hey, welcome back. I'm Roger. Uh, it's Rob right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to talk about the woman card here. Again, this is just like when we talked about breastfeeding last week, Rob. Two brave men, very well qualified to discuss this now. No, but you know what? This is what's interesting, right? Is that uh, Hillary Clinton was accused of playing the woman card. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, wasn't Alison Redford also accused of of playing the woman card to deflect criticism? Yeah, and remember we also talked about... People were being mean to her as as premier because she was a woman. Right. But then she also played the mom card when she stood up and she said, but you know what? I'm also a mother, and people are very proud of that and stuff. So it was sort of like... I, I guess when it was happening, I thought to myself, of course there's a woman card, and there's probably a good way to play the woman card and a bad way to play the woman card. 
similarly, the race card, right? Like, wasn't Obama just accused of playing the race card against Donald Trump? And who would deny that there is a race card? Like, that's something that we know is out there, right? Well, when does it become a card? Is it when that person talks about it? I mean, someone... should, should Hillary never mention her, her gender? I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know that she needs to go around pointing out to people that she's a woman. I think people realize that and understand the, you know, the historic aspect of, of having a, the first woman president, just as, you know, it was obvious with, with Barack Obama. I think so maybe that's where it becomes a card. Well, to answer your question, it becomes a card when somebody photoshops it and shares it on Facebook. Ah, okay. <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, let's bring our, our guest into this program, though, because um, she has done some thinking and writing about this very matter and uh, discusses it uh, a lot, too. Uh, Beate Shalette. Uh, Am I pronouncing your name correctly, by the way? You did phenomenal. Thank oh. you. Perfect. Nice going. Well, thanks Roger. very much. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to retire now. That's probably the uh, <laughs> the best I can do. Uh, Beate, let, let's talk about this idea of a woman card because I mean, you're not coming on the radio with us today to deny that there is such a thing. In fact, you're, I think your your statement is more that everybody's got a card. Exactly. You know, clearly you're playing the radio card right now, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's all kinds of cards. It's it's, amer- it's amazing to me on how. You know, this is being even pointed out. Well, of course, I'm a woman. I have a woman card. You're a man. You have a man card. You're black. You have an African-American card. You're Asian. You have an Asian card. We all have a card that levels the playing field. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. So I guess the question then is how do you how do you use that card responsibly, right? Exactly. Well, look, you know, women are acting like we are a minority. And while we are 51 to 52 percent of the population, we really are the majority. So I guess this whole card thing is intended to make us feel bad about being, you know, African-American, about being a woman, about being whatever. And that's just wrong. Everybody has a card. All right. So what do you make then of of how Hillary has has used it? Well, but see, this is the question that I'm that I'm so puzzled by. It's like, how has she used it? So so there's a, a, a woman candidate for president and she says, I am the most qualified candidate to talk about women's issues. Well, who would agree with her? Is that really playing a card? Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes we just have to ask ourselves a little bit more in detail, what does this really mean? Of course, she's the most qualified candidate to talk about women's issues. As she pointed out, she is a woman. So why are we even making a big deal about it? Okay, I guess, I mean, no one ever says you played the woman card and it's like complimentary. Hey, way to play the woman card, right? It's always like, there you are making an argument that you're a victim in all of this. And if I argue against you, then I'm some bully. Right. But is is the card really, especially in Hillary's case, actually used to be a victim? I don't I don't see uh, anything about her that would suggest that she's a victim in in any kind to the very contrary. If she were to play the woman card, she plays the strongest woman card that there is out there right now because she says a woman can do anything she puts her mind to. And she has access to secret proprietary information that only can women, women know about women that I will be using. Well, what's wrong with that? Right. I mean, I see to me the, the, the very statement though of saying like, She's playing the woman card or, or uh, President Obama's playing the race card is a way of framing an argument in, in as being under underhanded as though there's no way that we can now engage beyond this point when 
what could really be happening is the person who is a so-called playing the card is trying to point something out that we need to address. Right. But see, isn't it really truly in the eye of the beholder, though, to look at this and say, um, I'm I'm just saying it is a card like Trump makes everybody, you know, play a card because he has, you know, he's running out of arguments. So he has to accuse other people of doing certain things underhandedly because he can't argue the case. So so I I say that you're playing a card when I run out of arguments, because if I had good arguments, then I wouldn't need you wouldn't need to do that because then we could just have a discussion about it. So that's what's so wrong about this woman card thing is we as women, you know, everybody's given a card by, by the pure nature of who we are. We attract people who believe in our message and who we naturally attract, who are drawn to us. Is that playing a card? You tell me. I don't think so. Well, you, you write this week and you, you give examples where you say the woman card should be waved wildly. What do you mean by that? Well, I say that, you know, this is exactly to my point, that women really are the majority uh, of the United States population. So we are somewhere between 51 to 52 percent. Women, by the pure nature, we, we somehow always feel like we're a minority because we have to fight for things that should be naturally ours. We should be entitled to 50 percent of everything. But yet, you know, we have only 2 percent of CEO positions. There's only 20 percent of uh, political uh, seats available to women. So if we continue to act that this is all there is, then of course we have to feel like we have to play all kinds of advantages. But, you know, the woman card in this particular case then would just say, look, we are the majority of the population. We are entitled to this and we're just going to grab what's naturally supposed to be ours, 50%. So playing the woman card then is, is a pursuit of parity. Exactly. That, that is exactly what I'm saying. It's like if we play any card, then we play the card that says we are, we are half of the population, we're entitled to half of what's out there, and we are going after that. That is the woman card, and that is, I think, what people are so uh, scared of, uh, of, or that's what the fearful part is. It's the rise of woman. But surely there's a natural imparity when it comes to certain issues that are often described as women's issues. Possibly, you know, but, but, you know, what is the imperity? So is it that we, by nature, don't know about certain things? Well, as a woman, I don't know about a lot of the men's issues because by the pure nature of who I am, I cannot know about it. So, so the question, you know, again is, what do I, what do I confidently talk about and that stuff that I know or stuff that I can learn? So, so, you know, in parody, yes and no. It, it, the argument goes both ways. Right. Well, okay, so the, the, getting back to the conversation around playing the woman's card, as you, or the woman card, as you say, I mean, sometimes it, it's, it's, it's a distraction from real issues. Sometimes it, it needs to be played. Do we need to change the terminology? That is, I think, a great way to start, because when I say to a woman, you're playing the woman card, I'm saying this because I'm intending to make her feel bad. If I say to uh, President Obama, you're playing the race card, I'm intending to make him feel bad. So it is when literally we run out of arguments and we just say, well, you're just using this. But the reality of it is it can't really be used if that is part of your genetic makeup of your DNA. So why don't we just embrace it as a viewpoint? 
that somebody can bring to the table and say, you know what, the woman's side of this is great. The African-American side of viewpoint of this is great. We need to stop judging each other and just, and just add it to the conversation as a viewpoint. Isn't that so much more interesting? Uh, yeah, listen, I, I won't disagree with that. Can you, can you explain a phenomenon to me? Um, I, I get how men can be dismissive of women or be anti-woman. Uh, which is not to say that all of them are. Um, but what, what's peculiar to me that I find with some women is that they start from like this default position of disliking somebody just for what they are. So there are women out there who hate Hillary, for example, but with no cause. Absolutely. And this, this is really part of what I'm addressing in the Women's Code and what I write about in my book, Happy Woman, Happy World, is that we have to stop taking other women down. If we really want to get to true equality, to what I call a balanced leadership, then we need to embrace other women and their accomplishments. But, you know, as what I just said earlier, if we believe that only so little is ours, of course we have to be at each other's throat because then we're fighting for whatever the 2% or the 20%. But if I believe that truly everything is available to me, then I don't have to do that. And this is the shift that the Women's Code is really hoping to bring to womankind to say, girlfriend, you need to stop acting like that. There's enough for everybody. Okay, well, regarding Hillary then specifically, how should female voters in the United States view Hillary? Do do you think that at any level there's an obligation that they support a fellow woman? Absolutely. I mean, you know, somebody says, well, should we look at a candidate because she's a woman or does this make a difference? Well, in this particular instance, the argument doesn't even exist because Hillary, I mean, hands down, is the most qualified presidential candidate America has ever seen. I mean, she's got eight years in the the White House. She's Secretary of State. She knows the political ins and outs. She's got the relationships. She's got foreign relationships. There's nobody else more qualified than her. So with that even out of the way, and then I look at her and I said, And I say, will I be part of history? Will I allow that a woman can rise all the way to the top? And I'm I'm in. I I am all in. And yes, every woman should vote for Hillary because we miss this. Who knows? It'll be another 10, 15 years before we have the opportunity again. This is a historic moment for women that we cannot let pass. All right. Well, what about those women, though, who, like, should they be, is it a game of trades or is it a bargain? Are there women who must trade their uh, certain ideological perspectives uh, just in order to cast a ballot for a woman to be on that side of history, as you mentioned? Well, that's really something that women have to reconcile within themselves. To me, the issue is very clear. I'm all for for women empowerment. I want to tell my daughter that this is available to her. I want to... Uh, have all all daughters of all women understand that you can you can go all the way if that's what you choose to do for yourself. So of course I'm going to support women. I'm supporting all women in their pursuit as long as they allow that they take other women with them. Right. Does the conversation change though if it's if it's Sarah Palin versus Bernie Sanders? Absolutely. That's because Sarah Palin just you know just unfortunately. Um, makes some very bad mistakes in the way she communicates and the way she comes across. But, you know, I've said it all along, even about Sarah Palin. You know, here's a woman 
that, you know, clearly was not qualified, but there was an opportunity that she was presented with, and she ran with it. And for that, and that alone, I appreciate and support her. Did she do it right? Did she make mistakes? Well, of course, she made huge mistakes. But for the pure fact that he is a woman, trailblazer again, who took an opportunity and ran, she did phenomenal for what she was given. And even when she was thrown under the bus, she still kept getting up. I give her that. <laughs> All right. Well, Beate, we'll leave it there. More at uh, thewomenscode.com. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate this. Thank you so much for having me. All right. There you go. That's uh, Beate Shalette, uh, author of uh, Happy Woman, Happy World, founder of the Women's Code, uh, thewomenscode.com. We're going to take some phone calls after this uh, commercial break. 974-8255 if you want to be part of the show. Uh, what do you think of what Beate had to say? This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. My conscience bears its witchcraft. <laughs> it's witchcraft. It's a great song. What well, it is? It's, it's Patrick's it's being apropos of nothing. Here. Just, uh, it's just the next song on the list, I guess. Oh, fluke, right, Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, no, didn't mean it. Yeah, okay. All right, 974-8255. It's an interesting response. I, I, I thought she might equivocate a little bit on the question of whether women have an obligation to vote for Hillary, but she just dove right in and said, oh, absolutely, 100%. I didn't appreciate that same comment when it was, uh, do black people have to vote for Barack Obama? Uh, well, obviously, what, I think it was over 90% did. Right, but did they have to? I mean, I don't think that... Um... But I think a lot did who maybe otherwise wouldn't have voted for the Democrats. Wouldn't have voted for Hillary? Right. Right, because it would have been Hillary. Um... Because I, I think in that sense, is what she said is, is true, that it's a historic opportunity. When's the next time you're going to have a, 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 an African-American uh, as a presidential nominee with a, a, a realistic shot of becoming president? Because if Obama had lost... When, when when would the next one come along? Uh, so this, yeah, this year, I, so I ben, understand. Ben I think there's a lot of <laughs> well, is that yeah. Uh, what's the, that senator's name? Tim Scott from from South Carolina. But uh, yeah, I mean the Ben Carson train kind of derailed a while ago. <laughs> well, let's go to the phones on this matter because uh, Beate Shillette said a lot. Um, and one of the most profound things I think she said was that uh, the women, you got to support the trailblazer, got to go support the woman. There's almost this obligation to do so. Uh, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. Dylan, uh, how you doing? Howdy, not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, good. What's on your, what do you think? Oh, well, I have real issue when she says, if you're a woman, you got to vote for a woman. To me, doesn't that take the politics out of politics? Is the point you have to vote for the candidate you agree with and you have to po- vote for the position that you think the country should go towards? Well, that's why I thought it was peculiar when, you know, we talked about Sarah Palin afterwards, and the answer wasn't, oh, yeah, it was the exact same thing. It, you know, had a bit more, like, said she gave uh, Sarah Palin credit for being a trailblazer, but then said, oh, you know, she misspoke. So there are ways that a candidate can disqualify themselves to women, and I, I don't understand why the same can't be true of Hillary. Exactly. Uh, like that just it bothers me a lot because maybe I'm tired. I'm a, I'm a 21 year old man, and I see on feminist websites all the time of mansplaining and everything's unfair towards women. To me, it's uh, if you it shouldn't. It's not that case. To me, it's you have to put in the effort. A lot of men in politics put in the effort. I'm sure you 
two guys put a lot of effort, and I'm sure Danielle Smith put a lot of effort into getting to where she is. Yeah, I didn't vote for Danielle because she's a woman, and I had to support the man. <laughs> like, I personally, if I had the chance to vote for Danielle Smith, I would have because I agreed with her policies. Yeah, I hear you, brother. Hey, uh, how old did you say you are? I'm 21. Thanks for listening to our show. Really appreciate it. I, I, I love the show. This is my first time calling in. I try every now and then, but uh, I work for a living. It's your first time calling in, eh? Yep. Oh, cool, man. We appreciate that. That's awesome. No, I, I really like the show. Thank you very much. Cool. And keep man, working, keep working for a living, man. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, I like that. We should just uh, wrap up the show. Yeah, can we end there? Can we just play <laughs> Witchcraft? Can we just play Frank Sinatra for the rest? We better go on. No, no, another phone call. That's, that's a no. All right. Uh, Bo. Bo, welcome to the program. Yeah, hey, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, I think that lady was like a feminist on steroids or something. That was weird. Um, I think you should always evaluate a politician based on their track record, resume, character, irregardless of the color of their skin or their gender. I just can't even believe that you'd vote for Hillary just because she's a woman. Um, all you wonderful people out there who want to do some research on Hillary Clinton, you know, they say the Clintons are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, the Mena, Arkansas scandal where right. people were dropping dead like flies around those people. I could not fathom someone voting for Clinton. I mean, it's been a revolving do- of, uh, door, it seems, between Bush and Clintons. Let's get some fresh air in the White House. And uh, Hillary Clinton, to me, is such a the epitome of a fake face and a politician. Um, Benghazi scandal. Yeah, see, now you're talking about it. See, these are reasons why I think women should say, look, I would love to support a woman, but just not one who's using your personal emails or, or who's in this Benghazi scandal, right? Uh, let's get beyond gender. Let's get beyond color or skin or yeah. anything like that. You know, and let's let's just on the real substance of the person. It's a good call, Bo. Thanks very much for uh, for phoning in. Yeah, it should be, right? And and to me, it would be, right? We, do, we don't have the same kind of opportunity in Canada where, you know, we as a nation are electing our leader. And and that's a little different. But, um, you know, maybe to a lot of people it was important to vote for Stephen Harper because he was not a man necessarily, but because he's uh, from Alberta. Uh, you know, the Alberta card. So, I mean, different things are going to matter to different people. And, you know, I, I think ideally you should uh, look at where a candidate stands on issues that matter and and vote accordingly, not and not pay any attention to, to gender or ethnicity or, you know, where they're from or anything like that. But, I, again, to some people, it is going to matter, and, and that's that's their decision. It's it's a democracy. If uh, you want to go in and uh, just randomly pick somebody to vote for, that's your, your free choice in a democratic society. I don't think Beate was, was a crazy feminist uh, or whatever words um, uh, Bo used to describe her there. I mean, she was talking about parody. And I and I think that the justification she gave uh, for why women should vote for Hillary, that's what rings foul for me. I mean, I think women should vote for whoever they think the best choice is. It's their franchise. I don't think that you should ever vote as part of a movement. And I would argue that those uh, uh, if if 90 percent of African-American voters pick Barack Obama, it's not just because uh, he was the black president or because they wanted to do something historic. I think a lot of them probably saw his policies as being quite meaningful and, and good for the country. Marie, thanks for the phone call. Hi. I just wanted to say that I feel very strongly people need to vote for a candidate based on their policies, their track record, and their qualifications, not their gender or race or sexual orientation. All of that is irrelevant. Is it irrelevant or or just of minimal importance? Correct. Yes, correct, of minimal importance. You know, if we're looking at gender equality, we should be 
hiring people based on their qualifications, not their not their gender. For example, Stephen Harper, when he hired 50% of his cabinet because they were female, I'm a working woman, but still I would prefer to see the best person in that job. And if the best person is a female, great. But if the best person is a male, then so be it. And I think that that is what gender equality means, is the best person being hired for the job. Yeah, thanks for good Good phone call, Marie. Thanks very much. I, I think that the uh, the kind of dog and pony show that was uh, Justin Trudeau appointing the half-female, half-male cabinet was that, that that gender equality wasn't reflected in the bureaucracy that these ministers oversaw, which was the the issue. I mean, really the ultimate issue. So we basically had like 50% female, 50% male as a showpiece for something that wasn't changing. Let's squeeze in one more here. Let's um, get to Terry's phone call. Hi there, Terry. Hi there. Um, I do absolutely agree with uh, gender equality, best person for the job. However, without a lot of women in, in positions of power, it's really hard to say, um, okay, well, you know, based on her qualifications, she's the best choice. Um, without the opportunity to be able to um, have a voice, then it is much harder to be able to be comparative. Now, when you take a look at Hillary versus, well, I don't know, let's say Donald Trump, um, not only should we be, we women maybe think about voting for her because she's a woman, but over and above qualified over um, Donald Trump easily, <laughs> um, just on qualifications too. But we need to get women having voices in order for them to have something to compare to towards the the records of men. Okay, fair enough. Terry, appreciate the phone call. You know, and I mean, it was interesting in Alberta, of course, in 2012, where it was the issue was kind of diffused because we had a female party leader on, on one side and another female party leader on, on the other side. Yeah, we had no choice remember in the that? matter. I do remember that. It was a good election. <laughs> it, uh, it didn't turn out how I wanted it to, but... That's another story. Such is life. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a break. I'm going to come back. Everyone's uh, saying, when are you guys going to talk about catch up? Well, in just a few minutes. So stick around. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770.